Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Cinematic Pulse <laughs> Podcast. I'm your host, no. What was Man, that whistle you... tone you just did, Ariana Grande? <laughs> Imagine. Hi, everyone, and thanks for coming back. Today's episode is on Marvel's Captain America, The First Avenger. As always, you don't have to watch the movie in order to listen to the episode, but we always recommend it as we will never stray away from spoilers. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about production, uh, how this movie ties into the overall universe, and just why we love this movie so much. So let's get rolling. I'm your host, Audrey. And I'm your co-host, Cherie. So sit back, relax, and please don't silence your phone while we check your cinematic pulse. Okay, so quick summary of this movie. If you haven't, if you seen haven't it, seen it, like... it's the same for Harry Potter. How if you haven't seen this I'm movie, like... you obviously don't really, you do not care about the MCU whatsoever. Oh, skinny boy gets big, fights Nazis, superhero, the end. I mean, that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's the whole movie. Skinny boy becomes With big lots boy of patriotism. who then fights Nazis in a red man. <laughs> a red man. <laughs> That's it. And somehow I still get like moved to tears through like a significant chunk of this movie. So it's you don't have to complicate with your plot. Since I'd watched this movie, probably a couple years, because I tried to like I've tried to take like a I've pushed the MCU aside a little bit so I don't get like you know no, you fatigue from the MCU. On it. Right. I love the MCU. So watching this there's film always for the first something. time, I like there's little things I I just I only just now like realize while watching this film like. I know this is not first impressions because I will tell you I don't remember my first impression of this film. I don't remember the first time I ever watched it. I think uh, really, yeah. I think the first time I watched it was after. It definitely was after the first, like the first Avenger film. Um, Mm -hmm. Because before I saw the first Avenger film, the only ones I'd seen was Iron Man one and two, and then it was after that where I watched. Well, yeah, because those came out. Right, those came out first. This was not, even though he's the first Avenger, this was not the first movie. First to come Avenger out. came Iron out Man. right before. Yeah, first Avenger, Captain America, the first Avenger came out right before the Avengers came out. Um, yeah, yeah, because the the end credit scene isn't an end credit scene at all. It's like a promo for yep. the Avengers movie. That's exactly what it is. Um, yeah. So I can't tell you what my first impression was because I don't remember it but I can tell you my impression this time was man I forgot how cheesy Cap's lines were (laughs) (laughs) and um but the thing is is like I I love and still love um Tommy Lee Jones's every single line is perfect every single line every delivery a plus that he's my favorite character in the whole film. Tommy Lee Jones, absolutely perfect for this. I mean, like, best casting of the whole movie. The whole movie is casting gold, but it Tommy is. Lee Jones takes the cake. I just, like, it's so good. And I, I forget how much I love Tommy Lee Jones as an actor until I watch him and stuff again. He is so good. <sighs> he's just so good. And I just, he's oh, man. so good. He's like the quintessential, like, grumpy American he's in every movie that man. he's in. He's like, yes. I'm not, I'm not kissing you. 
<laughs> every oh, every line at all delivery was wonderful. Best best character. They're my so favorite character good. in this film. The the other one where he after he throws the grenade and he's all heroic and everything, and then Tommy Lee Jones, he's still skinny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Walks away. <laughs> Oh, just cinematic gold. Okay, so I had a question for you because I know that, like, for the longest time, like, Cap was your favorite superhero and mm-hmm. you had lots of Captain America stuff and it was, mm-hmm. like, Still the do. default gift that anyone got you whenever we needed to get for you something for, like, a birthday or Christmas years, or, like, Captain America stuff. <laughs> mother got me a cardboard <laughs> cutout of Captain America and I was like, that's too yes. far. That's too far. So I donated to Mama one of my Sarah best just friends. Doing the most. I donated to one of my best friends, Maddie, and she had a ton of like MCU cardboard cutouts for her classroom because she's a teacher. Um, yeah. She is resident expert on Marvel things. Um, yeah, Maddie for sure. Shout out to Maddie. Maddie knows all things Marvel. Yes. But Hi, like, Maddie. you got me, you got me like a Turvis cup, Captain America, and a blanket. Yes. I still. Oh, I yeah, I, I got you a blanket. I think the. Blanket is now my niece's car. I was like, I'm passing on the power Aww. of Captain America to you. I Cap think my must live gift, on. My favorite gift was actually from Maddie and Caroline. They got me a Captain America backpack. Love that backpack. Still Aww. have it. Uh, I remember that backpack. Yeah. That uh, was my favorite. And um, I, had, I mean, I literally have a Captain America sticker on my water bottle right now. He is yes. uh, like. Where does the, where did this start? Like where, where did you get so like in love with Captain America? I always, Besides the fact like, that he's awesome. Where did this begin? <laughs> well, honestly, when I was a kid, the Hulk and Spider-Man were my favorite. And I know we had, like, a couple Captain America comics around. So, like, those three were my default favorite, like, characters as a kid. And Batman. But I know Batman's DC. So I was really, like, those four characters. And then um, I think upon rewatching Avengers and then seeing Captain America, the first Avenger, and then... I think Iron Man 3 came out, and I want to say Winter Soldier. It was Winter Soldier, where I was like, oh my god. We can't even talk about Winter mm. Soldier yet, because like... No, gotta stay away from it, that is my, we'll talk about that. That is my favorite MCU film, hands down. I love um, that movie. And I... I this is not to jump Excuse into, you, like, no, your favorite one is No Way Home. It, no. Mm-mm. <laughs> um, That's mine. That is... Because I sobbed. But um, Winter Soldier is my favorite, because how they, like... I love how the Russo Brothers kind of, like... Like, they changed Cap because he's, like, he's not in the 40s anymore. He's in the present, and he has to change mm-hmm. with time. But I don't know. I think I just always appreciated his morals and aligned with those. Like, mm. he... Tell we grew up. Yeah, I, I just feel like he operates, like, you see him operate in more gray areas as time goes on throughout the, the MCU. But sure, I he feel evolves. like it was just, I don't know. I've always aligned with... Doing the right thing is the right thing always. And he's that way. He's mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't want to fight. Yes. I don't like bullies. I don't care where they come from. I'm like, yes, I align with that mm-hmm. I- ideal. And I think, honestly, it's because of his ideals that I he became one of my favorite characters. He is my favorite character Aww. in MCU. I love that. I Because I agree. Because Cap definitely evolves. You know, he, he grows to be more a part of the modern world for mm-hmm. sure. But he keeps... He keeps his ideals and he only evolves within what his morals already were. Right. You know, like he he doesn't compromise on on what he believes. Right. He, he evolves how he thinks about things, but he never compromises. Mm-hmm. Like what is right is right. And that's like, mm-hmm. that's it. And he, he'll operate yep. in gray areas, but he will do it like he only does it if he believes in it. And that's it. And mm-hmm. I I 100 percent 
align with that as well. Like I, my ideals. What's well, a good role model are, for kids to have? Right, and he he's just a good dude. Like he, I mean, again, he says I don't want to kill anyone, but I don't like bullies. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. But who who doesn't believe in something like that? Who can't get behind that? Right, right. <sighs> Oh, and he says later, too, he has that, that really important line that, you, like, that parents always tell their kids, too. Um, you know, I think Peggy asks something about, like, about him running. And he says, I, you know, if you start running, they'll never let you stop. Mm-hmm. But if you fight back, they have to stop sometime, right? Basically, yeah. And... And, like, you know, that's what parents tell their kids when they're getting bullied by people. It's like, no, you can't just let them walk all over you or they'll keep walking all over you. You have to stand up to them. And it can be scary, but... And that's... Yeah, but it. that's what he embodies. Mm-hmm. It's it's the scary thing of, like, I may be small, but I'm going to do what's right, even if it costs me. And I think that's and I think, something... You know, I think that's why we can get behind him so yeah. much. Yeah, and that's actually something I appreciate about Chris Evans' performance is that... You can kind of tell there are times where he's like, man, I'm way over my head. But he's like, I got to do this. I have to do this. Mm-hmm. And I, I really, yeah. I really appreciate that about Chris Evans' performance. And like, no one could, no one else could have been Captain America. No one else. Mm, okay, so I disagree with you because there is one person who I unequivocally would have loved to see be Captain America. Go on. <laughs> Go on. Jen, Okay. Jensen Ackles no, from no, Supernatural. No, yes. No. Yes. And they actually, it was, a like, they made like a, a joke about it because he was in the, the Amazon show, The Boys, which I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, but they actually had him be in it as a nod to him almost being Captain America mm-hmm. um, as he plays the character Soldier Boy. And he, his... His acting style is so charming and charismatic, but he can also be serious and humble. And you see that if you're if you're a Supernatural fan. I feel like every Supernatural fan is going to agree with me. Shout out to all of you who are Supernatural fans. Um, he, he just has a lot of range to both his charm and seriousness. And he, he would have made a really good Captain America because he is so charming in Supernatural without being smarmy. Like, he's genuinely likable and and laughable. Um, or, well, not laughable, but you know what I mean. Um, but he's genuinely likable in Supernatural. And I would have I would have died to Which see him be Jensen Captain Ackles? America. Is he the one, the blue hair? Not the one with the long hair, the okay. short hair. Uh, yeah, I could see it. I still, I feel like yeah. uh, Chris because he pro- did audition for Cap a little better though. Yes, I mean, I don't know. He he definitely really really wanted to be Captain America. Jensen Ackles did, and mm-hmm. I think for me that's part of it. Like he would have enjoyed being Captain America. He would have been the actor that like willingly went around to like hospitals and stuff dressed as Cap and you know like a Johnny Depp kind of person who just enjoyed being the character for the enjoyment that it brought people. Mm-hmm. That was how much he was into it and I'm just bummed that we didn't get to see that. I mean, Chris Evans was great, but I'm like I want to live in the universe that has Captain America as get Jensen out. Ackles. Go to that universe cuz heck no. I Chris will go. Evans for life. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's great. He's Chris Evans is wonderful and he's he is very charming and he plays it absolutely perfectly for sure. Like I have absolutely nothing against Chris Evans. I love him. I also have nothing um, against Jason Apple, know... so nobody thinks I do. <laughs> yes, you leave him alone. We love him. He's a great person. I like and... Jensen. Oh my god, can't say his name. Jensen Ackles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that guy. 
Um, I think for me it was just the um like the motivation behind playing Captain America that that Chris Evans apparently didn't really want to get into the role because um, he didn't want to do big name stuff. He didn't want it to affect his private life, you know, being in something that large. For that um, long. Yeah, and for that long either. So, like, I just know that, like, especially later on, I know his heart wasn't really in it. Like, he was definitely enjoying the role and, and always giving it his all for sure. But I don't know. You can just kind of tell for me, like knowing that his heart wasn't in it. And I'm just like, man, I want to see Jensen Ackles be Captain America. See, I wouldn't say Chris Evans' heart wasn't in it, but I think you play a character so long it wears on you. Sure. Yeah. Especially if you're wanting to do other stuff, which he was. I mean, like, we know that. I mean, he immediately went out and went left and got into uh, Knives Out, which he was awesome in, and we will talk about eventually. He did stage plays, really? Mm-hmm. He had a terrible, ugly mustache for a stage play. <laughs> oh, it was awful. No! <laughs> it was awful. Oh, I'm going to have to look up pictures of Chris Evans with a terrible mustache. Oh, mm-hmm. I don't want to see it. You don't. Now, oh, beard no. stash? Like, mm, Kevin America with the beard? Don't get, mm, don't get me started. So, so wonderful. He grows a mean beard. Chris Evans does. His beard is awesome. My God. No, we're not. We're not to that MCU film yet. We got it. Let's get back on track. Let's get back on track. What were we talking about? First uh, impressions. Chris being beautiful. <laughs> Chris Evans being beautiful. Um. Okay. Re- real fast, because you, you said you can't really remember your first I really impression, don't but I my did. First impression of this film. I don't really remember mine either because I wasn't into the whole MCU yet. I didn't get into it until like. I don't know, like, a little bit later. Like, I saw Iron Man because, like, my parents liked it and wanted to see it. Um, And then Wes, actually, when we dated in high school, showed me Thor. But, like, I I didn't really get into it until, I think, like, the Avengers movie. And then, like, I went back and was like, okay, I have to see, like, the movies that preceded this, you know? Mm -hmm. So, So I watched this movie and I tried to, like, put my little, like, 2011 brain on, you know, and think, like, okay, how would I be processing this movie as, like, the first time I'm seeing it in 2011 and, like, the first time you've seen anything like this. And, like, 2011 Brain Audrey was like, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, I mean, you know, you watch it over 10 years later and you're like, okay, it's definitely been over 10 years since this movie was made. Our society is different. Um, graphic effects and everything have evolved. Acting has evolved. Writing has evolved. But, like, 2011... This thing was awesome. Mm-hmm. This movie was fantastic, and it was it was heartfelt. And I mean, like American society, especially you know, over ten years ago, was a big sucker for like World War II era stuff. So you I take that and you put World it into II comic films. book movies. I mean, same for sure. I think that's something that will fade as the generations go on, and we get farther and farther away from the Greatest Generation. But but being, you know, raised by people who were raised by mm-hmm. the greatest generation, like, it's it's still very much imbued that appreciation is. So watching anything World War II, I'm just, like, like it moves my heart every single time. Mm-hmm. So then seeing that in the MCU and, and in a superhero universe and to see it done justice and appreciated, it made this movie that much cooler back in 2011. I will say, um, upon rewatching this film... I really, really, really wish that um, Arnim Zola, who's actually one of my favorite villains, 
Had, really? Yeah, I like the comic book version of him. I really, really like what they did with him. Again, in Winter Soldier, we can't talk about it yet. But yeah. upon like upon watching this film again, you notice little nods they have to Arnim Zola's like comic book character. Like the first time Arnim Zola's on the screen, the first time you see him, he's, he's in magnified. a screen. Yes, and I I never noticed I it until this rewatch. It. Never Me ever either. noticed it until this rewatch. I was like, no, they did not. Did they really just I do what like, I think they did? Oh, that's I loved awesome. it. There were there were so many little moments like that. Like when you first see um, Johann Schmidt, uh, the first time you see him, he gets like which casual cameo of Argus Filch in the beginning, by the way. I always forget about him in this movie until I see him like, it's Mr. Filch. <laughs> so after he dies, um, Schmidt has like a, a blood spatter across his mm-hmm. jacket and they zoom in on I'm wondering what they're trying to make pin. you think right there, you know? I can't imagine. So I... I noticed those little character Easter eggs so much more this watch through. And it was, so it was like the one with Zola, the one with Red Skull. I was like, oh, I see what they did there. There were like so many little ones throughout this. And they were like, they were, they were funny. They were good. I liked them. Um, I have a lot of Easter egg comments that I noticed in this. The MCU is like, it is jam packed with Easter Mm -hmm. eggs. And like, especially for for comic book lovers or people who grew up watching, like, or just any of the, the preceding material. And I made a note because I definitely want to talk about this or just touch on it. This is something that I appreciate so much about the MCU and why I feel like the the Marvel Cinematic Universe has done better overall than DC. And especially with this endeavor, because for, for one thing, the, the Avengers endeavor was groundbreaking mm-hmm. cinema endeavor. Mm-hmm. No one had tried to do something like this, mm-hmm. to take separate movies several separate movies and then combine them over a feat of almost like 10 years almost 10 years but like five years to make one giant awesome movie conglomerate right and so that was groundbreaking in and of itself but what i liked about the mcu is that it didn't cut corners as far as writing went it it basically used the comics as like source material Mm -hmm. And then use those characters to create a more realistic story oh, as yeah. far as, like, of the day. And very you know? much appreciate like, they didn't, that. Very much appreciate that. They didn't that. get hung up using, like, the comic book character names and staying 100% true to the comics. Like I said, they used it more like source material. To, right, like, to, to, uh, to inspire, like, a more realistic story. I mean, like, it's not realistic realistic, but it, it, it's its own... It's its own thing, mm-hmm. and, and you can, and it you can argue separate it's its from the universe, comics. from the comic universe. Yeah, yeah, you kind of can, and like I can understand why that would make comic book readers mad, but like it's it's undeniable how well that technique has done for it, especially when it was starting out, because I think that's where DC gets hung up is like trying to stay too true to the comics. And, and you sacrifice some elements of, like, seriousness mm-hmm. when you do that. I noticed that I, I rewatched, like, The Flash. Or not rewatched, but I watched the most recent Flash movie. And that was, I think, my biggest problem was, like, they tried to make it too comic booky, And it's, like, you, you can't quite get that feel when you're mm-hmm. having real-life actors, you know? Like, you're going to either sacrifice, you're going to sacrifice something, and it's probably going to be how serious the audience takes your movie. 
So if you want to take it seriously, you're going to have to sacrifice some of those comic book elements that were cool on the page, but don't translate to film. And I, I love that the MCU does that because mm-hmm. it just makes the, it keeps the rewatchability high for one thing. Oh, yeah. These, I mean, these are Because you feel like you're watching... Yeah, yeah, 100%. These are these are classics. These are genre-defining films. Especially the like first five. Not to not to say the ones after aren't, but, like, the first five, Iron Man 1, Everything two, leading up to the Avengers. Yeah, uh, Avengers and backwards, those, like, I'm not, I'm sorry, I'm not including the Hulk films. I'm sorry, everyone who really nope, likes those. No, I don't either. Um, they, no they get, it gets included, like, like it's a footnote. <laughs> they are the footnote. But, you know, um... I feel like those films are, you can lump those into even like, you know, how the Harry Potter movies are classics for us millennials. Mm-hmm. Those first five Avengers films or films, oh my gosh, films leading up to the Avengers, they're classics. They're yeah. going to be rewatching. I completely it's agree. The, it's like you said, when we talked about Harry Potter, everyone loves the beginning of a story and those films are the yeah. beginning of the story. Mm-hmm. The Avengers is the beginning. And I feel I mean, like we DC still never have... really had that, unfortunately. They no, they had kind of I moments mean... where, like, when Wonder Woman came out, I thought that was, mm-hmm. Wonder Woman was fantastic. For its flaws, for you its You know, I still haven't seen it. The first Wonder Woman? No, I never uh, saw it. I don't know, like, what I I, don't, I just don't think some, I think something came up, like, when it came out, and I just never got around to seeing it. I saw it that and movie just... three times opening weekend. Wow. Loved it. Uh, it. Three times the opening weekend? The opening weekend. I did the same thing for Captain wow. America Civil War, though, so. I mean, that movie's awesome, though, so, I mean, I get, okay, I get it. But I hmm. feel like, you know, for a minute there, I felt like DC was kind of like, they had Wonder Woman, and I thought, I thought Aquaman was fun. Was it perfect? No. Did it have some weird CGI? Yes. But I thought it was a fun <laughs> film. And I really liked, um, oh my gosh, what's Some of the practical name? effects were fun, though. Yeah. Oh my gosh, what's his name? My uh, mom calls him Jason Momo. Thank you, Jason Momoa. <laughs> I thought he was really fun as Aquaman. I think he was a great casting, you know, choice. And oh, then for sure, one hundred like, you know, what we're gonna do, guys. Throw everyone away. We're gonna start from the beginning again. My goodness, again. DC. Because DC can't stick with an actor. Oh man. So anyhow, we're talking about <laughs> Captain America: The First Avenger. But yeah, I, I mean, I this is like called this... contrast. This mm-hmm. is called juxtaposition. <laughs> But I, I just feel like I agree with you 100% that Marvel just somehow they just they know how to knit it all together and make it work. It's John Favreau, man. He knows how to do something justice. He really does. I mean, that's where this started is John Favreau having done Iron Man. He, he did Iron Man. I don't really think with any intention of launching the MCU, but that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Someone was like, this man knows a lot about Marvel. Let's put him in charge. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, him and, uh, what's his name, Luis Esposito, mm-hmm. the guy who's, like, the overall producer that ties them all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's make them best friends. And it worked. And it worked, 100%. Um, the, the, all that to say, that was my first impression, was, like, putting putting my 2011 thinking cap on and going, okay, how would I have appreciated this movie back then? I also wanted to tell you, because I was doing some research on it, um... I tried to, like, watch the opening scene in the ice with, like, fresh eyes. I'm like, okay, how would I have processed this if I'd never seen it before? And knowing what the movie's about, knowing that it's going to be, you know, a World War II Captain America movie, yet they start out with finding what looks like a flying saucer in the ice. Right. Big old boomerang. I'm like, right. And then, and so you're, you're, you're watching this, and for the first time you're going, like, okay, I know what this movie's about. 
How are they going to get from point A to point B? Mm -hmm. And it's a great tactic to make you interested in what the rest of the movie was going to be. And I'm watching this and I'm going, okay, it's mysterious somewhere. And it falls somewhere between like the opening of National Treasure and the opening of Transformers for me. (laughs) With something mysterious being trapped in the ice. And I felt like there were a lot of like homages or like influences of movies like that for how this movie got set up um even like when you go when it pans to um Tonsberg in Norway mm-hmm. and you have uh Schmidt going after the Tesseract um I felt like I'm like oh this is very like Indiana Jones right so I'm like you get all of these homages to these other films kind of like setting that mysterious tone but also the tone of like of cultural classic movies. And so I do some research and I'm like, so this movie was directed by Joe Johnston. Mm -hmm. And I look, the dude was a friggin' art director on Raiders of the Lost Ark. It looks like, like, it's funny you say that because the coloring of the film looks like that. Doesn't it though? I thought the exact same thing. I'm like, the, the vibe is Indiana Jones. And lo and behold, that's why. Like Which the, is awesome. The colors used in that film just for some reason do give off Indiana Jones vibes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're rich. They're rich and adventurous and is what is what those colors are. Mm-hmm. Well, when it's warm on screen, the colors are warm because it's not always warm on screen. Yes. No, it's not. But when it when it's not warm on screen, the colors are still rich. Mm-hmm. They don't ever sacrifice saturation, but not to the point where you're like full Michael Bay saturation, where oh, everybody's man. eyes are like at lightning blue. Not that kind of saturation. Mm. Which I I don't I'm not making fun of that uh, LUT is that a, is that a LUT or uh, is that a yes. lens? It could be both, but it could be um, it could be it could be both. LUT together. flash lens. Um, it's probably because it's because he's not the only director to use that, and I'm not making fun because I actually really like that overall style. It just has its place mm-hmm. in filmmaking for me. I would not want to shoot every movie like that. No. It's good for adventure movies or um, where else did I see that? I feel like I saw it in one of the the Daniel Craig James Bond movies, but I could be wrong. Oh, no, I think I'm thinking Mission Impossible. Okay. Um, I think it was one of the Mission Impossible movies. But anyway, I digress. Um, casting. Uh I still can't get over that Zola... D- I remember the exact moment that I realized that that actor whose name is escaping me right now is the one who plays Zola is Dobby the house elf. It is! <gasps> yeah. You're right. I- <laughs> you know when I figured that out? You want to know when I figured that out? I figured that out watching the uh, anniversary special on HBO where they were doing all of the, the interviews forgot. with all the actors. <laughs> I forgot. And I go, he is what now? <laughs> yeah. So for anyone wondering, Toby Jones, um, Dr. Arnim Zola, Toby Jones, thank you. I always forget his name too. I'm like, I know the face. Can't tell you the name. Dobby the house elf. Which other uh, odd casting things. Did you ever watch the show The Mentalist? Mm-mm. Oh, okay. Well, so for anyone out there watching who has watched The Mentalist, the the ending scene of this movie when um, Steve wakes up in that room, um, which by the way, great twist. To... I remember, I remember watching that film. Like, wait, what? I was like, we, I we started talk about in the this. future or in the present, and now we're in the past, and now he's in the past. 
I was like, did he really get saved? Like that, I remember having that reaction the first time I watched the film. I was like, wait, what? And then he's like, hold on a minute. (laughs) He's like, hold on a minute. So, okay. So that girl that comes in, she looked so familiar to me and it was driving me bonkers. So for anyone who's seen The Mentalist, um, the girl who comes in and is talking to Cap and telling him that he's in a recovery room, that is Grace Van Pelt from The Mentalist. And I was it was driving me crazy as to why she looked so familiar. Um, so do we want to talk about the ending scene? Because I have a lot to say about that scene. Go ahead, because I've read so many different uh, takes on the ending scene I in the last 10 years have- of my life. I have gone down a rabbit hole about that ending scene mm-hmm. because there were things that I noticed before, like forget forget him noticing that the game that's weird. playing. Okay, so that yeah, forget him noticing that like the game that's playing is from 1941, mm-hmm. not anytime after 1943, and he was there. So forget that. He wakes up and like things are already off, and there's a lot that's off, and. The reason I wanted to bring this up is because you know Hold that on. the filmmakers. Wait, are we still doing casting though? <sighs> Let's go back to casting we'll and then we'll jump forward. No, no, no. Go back to casting no, and we'll jump I'm forward. I'm already like. It'll be the literal next okay. thing we talk about because I also love okay. the ending scene. Okay. Um. So casting. Uh. Hugo Weaving. Need I say more? <laughs> Need you say more? Which. Um interesting i i'm gonna forget this actor's name so hugo weaving even though we see the character of red skull again hugo weaving did not reprise the role Mm-mm. later in the mcu mm-hmm. he did not um, like it. who we actually get is a um uh what's the word i'm looking for here he's not an impersonator because he's an actor himself no so um he he's a guy who does like uh voice imitations and he does mm. a, a an excellent Hugo Weaving. He does. He's um he's an actor and he plays Aaron in The Walking Dead. Um which for those of you who ever watched The Walking Dead, he's the one that finds Rick and his group and takes him to Alexandria. That is who later does the the double of Red Skull is that actor and oh, I can't remember his name. Um but yeah, so they actually, he does a great Hugo Weaving inter, uh, impersonation, and so they got him to do Red Skull instead. Because if you notice, like, the voice is spot on, mm-hmm. even though it's not Hugo Weaving. Mm-hmm. Um, For anyone who doesn't know what so we're yeah. talking about, we're talking about uh, Infinity War? Mm-hmm. No, it's Endgame when he shows back up. It is Endgame, yes. Well, is he in Infinity War 2 because Thanos Mm-mm. has to go get the stone? Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah, you're right. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. he is. Yeah, so he's in it a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Yes. Both of those Now ones. I'm going to have to watch the whole MCU. <laughs> Great. I needed something to have on in the background. Um. Also, little casting Easter egg. We're talking about this movie being so chock full of Easter eggs, and the whole MCU is full of Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, another little casting Easter egg, uh, Kenneth Choi, who plays Jim Morita, one of the... Um, one of the Helen Commandos. Commandos. Yeah, which they're awesome. Love them. Love that we got like a montage of their exploits because they're fantastic. They are. Um, so, fun little Easter egg. Jim uh, or Ken- Kenneth Choi. I am. I'm going to tell our listeners that because I'm sure you know that already. Thanks, Maddie. Um, yes. So, <laughs> Kenneth Choi. 
uh, also plays the principal in uh, Spider-Man Homecoming at um, the Tom Holland Spider-Man's school. Mm-hmm. He plays the principal also, whose last name is also Morita. And if you look at his office, he has a picture of the Howling Commandos in his office. Mm-hmm. And so he is supposed to be a direct descendant of Jim Morita. I think like a grandson or great-grandson, I believe. I think judging by time, he'd probably be grandson given his age mm-hmm. love yeah. the, i love the small little easter eggs they litter throughout them me too, like too. me too especially especially tying spider-man into the mcu because because of the difficult place that the spider-man character holds in the mcu slash sonyverse mm-hmm. you know so i really appreciate when they're able to actually effectively tie it into the rest of the like mcu and avenger universe mm-hmm. me too so yeah, fun little fact. Also, I love Kenneth Choi. So, of all of the people that they got to play the Howling Commandos, also the um, the guy who is supposed to be like of German descent, whose name is escaping me right now, um, Neil McDonough. Um, he plays uh, Timothy Dugan mm-hmm. with the big old mustache. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like him as an actor. He actually is a villain in one of the Red movies with Bruce Willis, and that's where oh, I neat. that's where I discovered him and i was like oh i really like this guy and then like i went back and watched captain america and i was like oh hey that's him so he's very cool um let's see other casting things oh i i discovered this one i wanted to know if you know this one um this movie before disney acquired the rights we almost got cameo appearances of wolverine and magneto that would make because sense, this movie took II. place during World War II. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We almost got them, but because Disney didn't own the rights to it, um, but it was before the Disney-Fox merger. Mm-hmm. Way uh, before the we Disney-Fox merger. Them. Yeah, way before the Disney-Fox merger. Um, yeah, so that was a big bummer, because that would have been awesome. Can you, Im- can you imagine? I am glad they didn't, because that would have been a lot... That would have been a lot. It would have been a lot to take in. It would have been a lot to take in. And I don't know, it wouldn't have been, to me as a writer and a storyteller, it wouldn't have made sense to have them there because what are you going to do with them? They're, they're just... Cameos. They're purely there for cameos. Right. And I think it, I agree, I think it would have taken away from some of the seriousness Especially if you movie. weren't going to use them anytime soon in the MCU. Mm-hmm. It would have been like, okay, I think it would have taken you out of it. So I'm glad they mm-hmm. didn't do that. Um, Yeah. Uh, Which, because they didn't have the rights yet, so the the cap shield is made of vibranium, uh right? So I guess in the comics, it's actually supposed to be like a a a, like a mix of vibranium and adamantium. I feel like I read that somewhere, but I don't remember. Yeah, and um, I I read that in some of the the trivia about the movie on IMDb, and I'm like, that would have been very interesting. That would be very interesting, and it would make perfect sense because it's all in the Marvel Universe, but unfortunately, because Disney didn't have the rights yet, they had to scrap it, and so it's all vibranium. You know how who we haven't mentioned yet? Who we haven't mentioned yet? Haley Atwell is Peggy Carter. Because she's wonderful? Because she's wonderful, and how could they ever cancel her show? It was great. Oh, Agent Carter got canceled? Yeah, they only had two seasons. I loved it. Really? Yes. Oh my gosh, so, the show was so here's good. here's the thing. Agent Carter, along with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, those were, like, the very beginning of, like, the MCU TV shows, were they mm-hmm. not? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I, and I feel like I remember when those got popular. No, not not popular. I'm sorry. I remember when those became like a thing that were on TV because it was before Disney Plus, so they were actually aired on TV. Were they not? Yep. And I just feel like it was asking a lot of your audience to dedicate their attention just from the one-off interesting movie that they would go see to then also tune in every Friday at 8, 7 central to a show. Yeah, I uh, I never got into um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think I watched the first two or three episodes and I was like, no, Peggy Carter's more fun. I liked Peggy Carter. And I think it would just it was Agent too Carter early if they... Yeah, it was um, too early. They, if they had waited until, like, the age of streaming, you know, I think it would have done a lot better. Mm-hmm. Because then you can watch it at your own convenience, or then, or you can just binge it once it's all out. Well, what's crazy um, is, like, did you ever watch What If by Marvel? You know what? No, I didn't. And I regretted that going into this, because I know uh, what, like, the Peggy Carter character Captain winds Carter? up being in the What oh. If universe. Captain Carter. Which, which, and we Haley got Allen an homage to too. that. Um, oh, does she really? Sure That's does. awesome. Um, well, cause we got, uh, we got an homage to that in the Doctor, in the Multiverse of Madness movie. We sure did. We also got a nod to John Krasinski almost being Captain America, mm-hmm. uh, with him in the MCU playing Mr. Fantastic. He was fan casted years before that movie ever even hit production. Really? Oh yeah. Because well, I know he tried out he to be and, Captain America and, and they didn't he want and him. Blunt were both fan casted as Mr. and Mrs. Fantastic. Well, Invisible Girl and Mr. Fantastic. Oh, that would have been interesting. Never say never, Marvel. Looking at you. Oh, ooh. Another Easter egg talking about the Fantastic Four. Another Easter egg at the uh, the World's Fair that, that Bucky and Steve go to at the beginning of the movie. There's a, a capsule that has a super suit in it. It's the original Human Torch suit, who Chris Evans also played. Yes, he does. I never noticed that before. That's cool. Yeah, because it was, it was panning over the World's Fair, and I was like, okay, they have, like, a superhero suit. That's got to be something. And so I started doing some Googling, and I was like, oh, I get it. I love that. Because Chris Evans had already been the Human Torch at this point, right? Oh, yeah. 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 Years before. I was going to say, like, that came out, but way before this. Years before. Yeah. Um, I absolutely adored um, Peggy Carter as a character. And she punched that man and being an absolute twerp. Yes! I was thinking about that, and I was like, we'd get in trouble for that nowadays, but I don't care. <laughs> Pop him in the In mouth. 1943, that's awesome. I loved it. So, yeah, she's a fantastic character. She's and you know what? She's not she's not annoying either. She's mm-hmm. just awesome. She's just pure awesome because when you have a character like that, you have to have a good actress to portray that strong of a character mm-hmm. and to do it without coming off like too headstrong and annoying. Mm-hmm. Um part of the reason why I didn't really I didn't really care for Brie Larson's portrayal of Carol Danvers. Um it just, I, the casting wasn't right for me, but um, the casting for Peggy Carter, spot on. Mm-hmm. She was just awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Now I will allow you to talk about the final scene. <laughs> I <love laughs> talk about the final scene. Okay. Okay. So um, to recap, the final scene of this movie, and it's not, I keep forgetting that it's not like the end credits scene, mm-hmm. um, which I think maybe it was probably supposed to be. And then they gave us the promo for Avengers instead. Right. Um. Because it has, like, an end credit scene feel, for sure. Um, like Fury showing up at the end of Iron Man. Right. So, 
Um, at the end of Captain America, after we see that they have found his ship in the ice, um, Steve wakes up and he's wearing his strategic science. Uh, what does the R stand for? Strategic science reserve? Research? Girl, I don't know. I don't remember. They took SSR from, like, actual World War II and made it same for something else. Anyway, so he's, like, there in his training t-shirt, and and everything looks like it's 19, the 1940s, um, and they have the, the radio playing, an old ball game, and uh, a girl comes in in traditional 40s attire when he wakes up, and he asks, where am I? Um, and he slowly starts to put two and two together that he is not, in fact, in a recovery room in, you know, 19... 19- 43 1944 mm. um that he is somewhere else and he breaks out i have gone down a rabbit hole about this scene and i am convinced that a, that the choices were done on purpose oh um, nothing is ever done by accident the, in film. nothing's ever done by accident you've learned anything from this podcast nothing is ever done by accident uh so because we, we okay And I back this up by saying we know how much effort they put into getting the costuming right for the 1940s because of how we saw it all the way up to this point, Mm -hmm. right? And it was was spot on and it's awesome. They did a great job of costuming this movie. So, all that to say, the girl who comes in, her costume is wrong. Mm -hmm. There's several things wrong with her outfit. Um, the primary ones being her hair is curled incorrectly. Mm -hmm. Her hair is curled with a modern curling iron, not with rollers like it would have been back in the 40s. Um, her tie is too wide. It's like a modern men's Windsor where women back then would have been wearing like a skinny tie. Um, and then the other thing that is actually a big notice is oddly enough, her bra. Yep. That's the one that always gets me. I'm like, that ain't right. She's wearing like a traditional bra where you can actually like see the liner of it through like the Mm -hmm. the cotton shirt Mm -hmm. that she's wearing. And she's wearing just like a normal like modern padded underwire bra where women in the 40s would have had like a cone shaped bra. Mm -hmm. Those little pointy boob look. (laughs) Looking at you, Madonna. there's, There's several, right? There's several things about her costume that are wrong, but we know they've gotten them right up to this point in the movie. So it's not like production just got lazy that day. Right. They were conscious decisions to dress her wrong. Right. And you can go either way with the interpretation of why this happened. You can go the simplistic way with A, like, you know, it's just, it's it's modern times and we don't know how to dress like that anymore. So we're going to do our best based off pictures, but we're going to get things wrong because there aren't things readily available to us. Which, like, like think about BS, that. Like, they like didn't you know which make that. Like, you will, like, you didn't know, like, what day Steve was going to wake up. Does this poor girl have to come to work every day in, like, 40, her best impression of 40s attire just Here's in case Steve wakes I'm, up? I'm calling BS because it's like, one, you are S.H.I.E.L.D.? You're going to sit there and tell me you're not trying to fit in. L- l- think about Black Widow okay. and how she has to fit into anywhere she goes to. Mm-mm, mm-mm. But continue, right, continue. so this is the other side of my theory, and so you could go that you could go the easy way with just like okay, they're doing their best mm-hmm. because they don't know what it was and they don't have necessarily things available to them, 
Or my theory is that it was done by S.H.I.E.L.D. on purpose. I agree with that one because it makes more sense that they would try to gently get him to come into the present. And they're like, oh, let's see if he'll notice these clothes are a little different. Let's see how he reacts to that. Man is like, "Mm -mm, mm-mm. Right. mm -mm, But mm -mm, it's it's almost like a psychological trick because if you need to ease somebody into the idea that their surroundings are not what they appear, what, or not even, not even just like not what they appear, but not their surroundings are not going to be what they're used to. What better way to do that than to like Inception style already make them suspicious of their surroundings. Mm -hmm. So you prime the person to be ready to accept that their surroundings are not what they expect by making them suspicious of it. And that's why I think that it was a conscious choice, not only on production's part, but also on the part of S.H.I.E.L.D. to that, like, that's their version of easing Cap into the real world, is well, to make him suspicious of the world that was presented to him. I, I agree with that theory oh, yeah. more, because that's that's honestly a theory I've ran with as well, because it makes more sense. You know, they're mm-hmm. not just gonna, there's no way, you know, they, it's like you said, they primed him. Fury's not stupid. Luka. He was ready. Man had people on the streets ready. He was right? ready to intercept Cap. Come on. Rolling up in their product placement Acuras. Not only that, he also eased him back into the at-ease soldier. He's going to respond mm-hmm. to that because he's used to that being in the army. Yep. Yeah. So, well, and it's also, too, like, you may not be in the time you're from, but you are still in the environment you're from. We are still at war. You are still a soldier. And there is still a hierarchy of rank. And I am your commanding officer. Pretty much. I'm just the new guy. Pretty much. You just got PCS. Welcome to New York. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, man, what else did I want to talk about? You know what? You know what? You know, what I didn't actually have a whole lot written down for was music. Here's the thing. There's a lot to be said about the music later, and honestly, I'm gonna get notes from Maddie before we talk about music coming later in, Ooh, the, okay. in the the movies because she has a lot to say about um, the music and because the, they, uh, I'm not a I don't I don't know music like that. I was a choral girl. I was in the choirs. I don't listen and understand orchestra and stuff like that. I appreciate it, but her like her take on music, mm, I should have I should have. Dexter called him before this, but she's got a lot to say about which, music later. Which, if I'm not mistaken, the person who did the soundtrack was actually Alan Menken. That sounds correct. I wonder if... He I'm gonna double check. Is it Alan Menken? No. Alan Menken wrote... Okay, so it was Alan Silvestri. Oh, that's... How did I not know is, that? Alan Silvestri did the next ones, too. Yeah, so Alan Silvestri did... He did a um, lot of the music The soundtrack the itself... Alan Menken wrote Star Spangled Man with a Plan. Mm -hmm. That's hilarious because you know how Alan Menken is. Alan Menken is like the stock Disney writer Mm -hmm. for all of like the fun choral Disney songs. Exactly. Little Mermaid, Alan Menken. I think it's Alan Menken. That's hilarious. Yes, I believe he did do that. And I want to say he did Hunchback also. Did he do Hunchback? Hold on. Am I on crack? Nope. Alan Menken did Hunchback of Notre Dame also. Let's see. Alan Silvestri has done so many movies. Oh, his his score soundtrack is bananas. It is bananas. The man does not quit. He also looks like discount um, Alan Rickman. 
Tell me I'm wrong. Everyone Google Alan Silvestri right now and think great value Alan Rickman. Dollar Tree. You did Dollar Tree Alan Rickman. Um. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, he did do a lot of other Avengers movies, didn't he? He did uh, Infinity War, Endgame. I know he did not do... Um, he did not do Age of Ultron. That was Danny Elfman. Yeah, and he did the Avengers movie. He did. Alan mm-hmm. Silvestri also did several he also did Harry Night Potter at the films. Museum. Which I'm not what are you talking seeing about? on here. Am no, I... he didn't. He did. No, it was John Williams did the first three, and then Patrick Douglas did four. Patrick Doyle is like Patrick somebody, Patrick Douglas, that's not right. Um, And then the the other guy did five, six, and seven. Who's the other guy? Am I crazy? Yes. Um, We're getting getting way off topic. (laughs) Nicholas Hooper. That was Order of the Phoenix. Alexander Desplat. That's what I'm did... thinking of. Not Alan Silvestri. I was like, it's an A <laughs> Alan name. Alan Silvestri, Alexander Desplat. It's an A name. Yeah, okay. It's like, it's like the same number of syllables. I'll, I'll give you that one. Thanks. I was like, yes, he did. It was definitely <laughs> the wrong A name. In the in the same universe where Jensen Ackles is Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got me. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. And that's how you do a joke callback. <laughs> All right, what else do we got? We have five minutes. I don't know, but we got off on such a tra- on such a tangent that my iPad locked itself. Oh, no. Is it still recording? <laughs> yes, we're good. Everything's fine. Um, what was your favorite, um, uh, what was your favorite scene? My favorite scene? Ooh, okay, my favorite scene. My favorite scene, speaking of callbacks, um... So earlier in the story, when um, Cap gets, you know, enlisted by, no pun intended, Senator Brandt to uh, sell, sell bail, or bail bonds, to sell bonds, um, he does like a promo film. And so they have him, you know, walking on like a conveyor with like a moving background and a bunch of like fake soldiers and stuff around him. And, and then they go cut and they're like, guys, don't look at the camera, and it's supposed to be, (laughs) supposed to be this, like, really, like, sad comedic thing, like, oh, it's supposed to be cool, but it's not, Mm -hmm. and it's fake, and it's a bummer, right? So, my favorite scene is that later then, when he rescues the rest of the guys from the 107th, we get that exact same shot, but this time it's real. Mm -hmm. And it is the exact same. He has the exact same, like, swagger to his walk the guys walking next to him are also in sync with him and we get like the real swell of the captain america theme and it gives me chills every single time it's one of those times like like hercules rescuing megara from the river sticks Mm -hmm. gives me chills every Every time. time every time every time Oh, I'm getting chills thinking about it right now because the Captain America theme is one of my favorite Avengers themes because every Avenger oh, yeah. has their own like l- unique theme and that is you, one of my that's favorites. That's actually something Maddie would bring up often is like you will hear little hints of his themes in later themes. Mm-hmm. So good. Yeah. Every time you see the shield, every time you get a chilling close-up of the shield, you hear a little bit of Captain America. Mm-hmm. Mm. Makes my heart warm. 
So that's my favorite scene is is the juxtaposition of the the fake walk home with soldiers and then the real one. Mm-hmm. Okay, your turn. Oh, I don't know if I have a favorite scene, but there are several shots I really enjoy. Um, I will always, always, always love the shot where uh, Cap and Red Skull are just like they finally face to face and they're on the little rafter thing, and then Zola presses that lever to separate them. Man. That shot, I just love that shot. It's so good. You got all the fire below them. Really? Love that shot. Mm. Another shot I really like is actually early in the film where Cap is in the alley getting his butt whooped. What I like about that shot is the camera movement. that The camera moves with uh, the movement of the characters in that scene where... I noticed that. Even I noticed that. Mm-hmm. This scene has a lot... There, This movie has a lot of really awesome uses of camera. And so there's not so much that there's a favorite scene I like, but there are moments where they like the camera movement. I really, really enjoy because it moves with the movement of the actors. And that's something. Oh, my gosh. When cameras move around with the action, man, mm, it's so good. Love that. That's why I actually think I really enjoy the scene in. um, Oh, what is that movie? Kingsman. When they're Ooh, in the bar, girl, and uh, we will talk about because I have a lot to say about Kingsman, and I know exactly what fight scene you're talking about. It's the manners maketh man. That scene. scene, I just camera movement in that scene, and anytime I see camera movement like that in other films, but my everyone which, who knows me knows, man, my my bread and butter is good camera work and lighting. Just I was gonna say and lighting. Those which are my have you seen Hardcore Henry? No, I have not. Oh, I'm adding that to the list because if you like camera movement with characters, especially during fight scene, Hardcore Henry. It, it will but it's like it's blow the way your little that, like, filmmaker mind. The way cameras move, man, it's just just there's actually I appreciate the intentionality into it and mm-hmm. I actually wanted to bring up something that I totally forgot about but I actually made a huge note about because I was thinking like, okay, if I'm watching this movie, like what would my questions be? And one of the questions that I had and talking about camera work was like, how in the heck do they actually do skinny Steve Rogers? Oh, man. It is a process. So I'm going to give you the dumbed down version. It is a process. No, no, no. So I I did look it up. And I I also wrote down the dumbed down version. Um, So according to an article from Screen Rant, essentially what they had to do was they had to shoot the scene three times they had mm-hmm. to shoot it once with just like the the background and the setting with no actors mm-hmm. they had to shoot it once with chris evans acting out his scene mm-hmm. and then they had to shoot it a third time with his body double leander Dini, mm-hmm. uh mimicking chris's movements to the best of his ability and then they would basically like shrink chris evans's body and like overlay it Mm -hmm. almost like they did with like Gollum and oh his name is escaping me right now um but the guy who voices Gollum and andy circus yes because he he also live action acted the scenes with Gollum fantastic and we will talk about that but in I, we will get there, believe me. I have a lot to say. Um, but it's in a very similar process where they then had to, like, overlay all three of those shot progressions What's crazy, each too, other. is his body double. They were like, man, it's, even their body double is still too big. They had to shrink the a body light? double, too. So much just, small. like, minimize. The man is small. They're like, yeah, we got to minimize even this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So, because I was wondering about that too, and I'm like, okay, I'm a viewer, and I'm going, how did they do this? So for our viewers who are now listening, that's how they did it, and it is so much effort and intention that goes into that kind of camera work and that kind of digital rendering because it is bananas. Because we we talked about this before we started recording is like the uncanny valleys. Like it, you have to believe it or you're just not gonna like it, and it's believable. Mm-hmm. You can see like you. Can, it is. They make especially the face. You can't change the face too too much. And because that's where it starts to get weird, they they do enough yes. to make his face small enough, but Chris Evans enough to still be you know our Steve Rogers, right? But like, if he didn't eat protein for like six months straight, no, you know, kidding. like if he did nothing but like ran and ate apples, <laughs> like skinny Chris Evans face. Man is a Dorito. <laughs> He's built like a Dorito. You see that triangle body? My gosh. <laughs> He's like a cave drawing where like they would just do like an upside down triangle to indicate man. <laughs> That's literally him. That is him. He's a Dorito. Apparently, um, poor um, Atwell. What's her first name? Haley. Haley Atwell, yes. So apparently her initial reaction where Caught she like camera. actually sees... <laughs> Caught, okay, so for our listeners, that was genuine when Peggy Carter, like, first sees Steve and is, like, like actually shocked and, like, touches his chest a little bit. Uh, that was genuine, and she almost broke, but managed to keep it together because she was actually shocked by how, like, fantastic his physique Hear me is. Out because, too. like, Hear me Dude out. Is bonkers. Because when I remember, again, I can't remember my first impression of this film, but I remember that scene. And I was like, I, in my own brain, I'm like, I want to touch what his pecs feel like. Not in like a sexual <laughs> way or anything like that. I'm just like, how? How they get so shaped what? perfect. And then she, t- <laughs> she touched it. I was like, I would have done the same thing. Uh, for science. For science. To for my grave, science. I'll okay, say it's for science. Just put that on your sexual harassment claim. I'm just no, like, it was for science. Like, you don't understand. It's insane though, because you're like, I don't like. Have I ever seen a human peck look that toned? And no, then it's no. just insane. Chris Evans is insane. It looks like a dodgeball. That's like the, how? It doesn't look real. I'm just, I just like, no way. From from somebody who like tries to take care of myself and like I I prioritize physical fitness and I have done like weightlifting and stuff. I'm just like the amount of effort that goes into creating these people's superhero physiques. Like I feel I get I feel bad for these people. I mean like Chris Hemsworth has said like he doesn't want to get as big as he was for Thor ever again because it is so hard to maintain. So like I and he's a fitness I, dude. Right. Well cause and he's still a fitness dude, but now he is really like slimmed down. So he's still muscular mm-hmm. and but now he's like trim because he does a lot of cardio. He does a lot of like Pilates type exercises because I follow his fitness routine on Instagram. <laughs> and so like he's still very, very fit, but he's not like enormous like right. he was for Thor because it's so much to maintain. I mean, um if if you ever saw Zach Efron in Baywatch, um he had to do a very similar, like, almost, like, superhero fitness routine. And the dude was like, I was in the best shape of my life and I never want to be there again. Because mm-hmm. in order to get that shredded for that movie, the poor dude was, like, eating chicken and, like, nothing but 
like six times a day. He said he wound up having to blend it and make chicken smoothies because his jaw straight up just got tired of chewing. (laughs) Poor guy. Right? I'm like, okay, when you're at that point, like, stop. It's too much. It's too I, like, I get, much. Like, I get it. Like, I get it. Like, it's not supposed to be natural. It's supposed to be, like, superhuman. So, like, it's not supposed to look like your average dude at Planet Fitness. I get it, for sure. But also, like, dang. Hats off. Too much effort. Too Calm much. down. Go home. Go rest. War's eat, over. Go home. Eat ice cream. <laughs> Yawn, leave. Go home. Eat ice cream. All right. I think we need to wrap because I need to go to bed. <laughs> we do need to wrap. <laughs> okay. Uh, that concludes today's episode, guys. Thanks Let's for tuning honest, in. Let's be honest, we could have talked forever more. About- we could have talked forever, and I'm sure we will, and I hope to someday have Maddie on an episode where we talk about something in the MCU. Um, so yeah, we could have talked for forever about Captain America. There's a lot to talk about on how much everything ties into the MCU. I mean, you heard us have to not talk about other movies in the MCU because we want to save them for later. Um, next week, we're going to give uh, ourselves a little tiny bit of a break. I'm going to be popping in your feed, sans Cherie, potentially, um, about uh, the new Disney Plus Star Wars series, Ahsoka. So we'll be doing a review on that series, um, what to look out for and how to fit that show into the rest of the Star Wars universe. So if you are interested in that at all or want to know if whether or not you should watch Ahsoka, make sure to be here next Friday to tune in for that. Cinematic Pulse is edited and produced by Cherie Jackson. The episodes and theme are written and performed by yours truly. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, and you can find Cinematic Pulse on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Thank you so much for listening, because we just checked your Cinematic Pulse. Roll credits. Roll credits.